The year is 480 uh, BC, and uh, it is during the second Persian invasion uh, that Xerxes, uh, the king of Persia, uh, amassed one of the largest uh, armies known to the world at that time. And Xerxes, with his massive army, uh, seeks to take over everything in his side and moves into Greece to take over uh, that land. Um, but, but there's one problem Xerxes faces, uh, Sparta. Now, some of you know and have even seen the film, The 300, uh, the historical account of what happens next at the Battle of Thermopylae is, is incredible. Um, as this army, this massive army, and, and historians kind of go back and forth and debate about the size of the army, but modest account would be 100,000 to 150,000 Persian troops uh, descend upon this land to take over Greece, uh, yet there is Sparta standing in its way, and uh, these Spartans were just incredible, I mean, just incredibly powerful and mighty. I mean, from, from boyhood, the, the Spartans were trained to be warriors and soldiers, and they taught them to, to fight, and, and I mean, in just like incredibly harsh conditions they would put these young boys through as they grew up learning and training to be soldiers. I mean, it, it was just a way of life. It was a part of their culture was, was to fight and to die, and there was no higher or greater honor than to die in battle, so much so that um, as, as the men would go off to battle, the Spartan mothers would say, uh, come home with your shield or on it. What that meant was you come home with your shield because you didn't drop it in battle and run away like a coward. So you come home with your shield or they would tell their sons to come home on their shield because they died in battle and their bodies were being carried on that shield. I mean, th this war culture was, was incredible. Th these men were, I mean, just physically fit and, and just trained. So, so there's Persia, and, and they, they start descending. And so King Leonidas, what he does is, is he's going to go out and attack them and fight them. But due to difficult political climate, he's only able to take 300 of the best and strongest warriors. And he, he picks a strategic location, which is the coastal pass of Thermopylae. And, and what it did is essentially it funneled down this massive, army to a force that these 300 Spartans could stand and fight. And for two whole days at the end of the battle, these 300 warriors, listen, 300 warriors fended off a hundred thousand warriors. I mean, this, the numbers are insane, but these men stood and they fought. And, and it was just this great example of human strength and might and valor and training. And even when the Persian army begins to outflank the Spartans, that they, they don't run and, and flee. They stay and fight and die for their country. And it was that great valor, it was that great might that then encouraged all of Greece to rally behind them and go into battle, ultimately pushing this massive Persian army away from their lands. In incredible, I incredible what we learn from history. This is 300 well-trained, physically fit, brave souls who fought and died for their country in a display of human might and power. And our story today is just the opposite. Our story today is not a story of human strength, but of human weakness. Not 300 mighty warriors, but 300 untrained, unskilled nobodies. 
who go out not in their own strength, but they go out in their weakness, yet in the might of the Lord. This is incredible. So if you weren't here last week, let me just catch you back up because we are introduced to this guy named Gideon, okay? What's happening is Gideon, he is threshing wheat, okay, in a wine press. Now, here's why that is significant. What happened is the Midianite army had come in and and they had taken everything that Israel had. Anytime Israel would plant a crop, guess what? The Midianites would come in, swoop in, and steal their crop. Anytime the the Israelites would raise livestock, the Midianites would come in like locusts riding their camels and they would steal all their livestock and and the Israelite people were running and hiding in caves. It, It was a terrible situation. And so there's Gideon and he's down in a wine press, was essentially a hole in the ground. And, and he's putting together, he's threshing or, or, or breaking apart the wheat, okay, just to, to scrape together a little meal for the day. But he's hiding in a hole. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, which later on we found out was a theophany or a picture of, of Christ himself, God himself showing up in the Old Testament text. God shows up to Gideon and he says, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. He calls the guy hiding in a hole a mighty man of valor, right? He he wasn't hiding in a hole, putting together a battle plan. He was hiding in a hole, fearing for his life, and God calls him a mighty warrior, a mighty man of valor, and says that the Lord is with you. Now, of course, that's ironic, but 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 it's also prophetic because in our text today, we do see Gideon go out in great weakness, but yet he is transformed into this mighty warrior. So there he is standing face to face with God who says, um, I'm going to give Midian into your hand. Yet Gideon is still fearful. You guys remember? He, he says, okay, if you're going to do this thing, um, I need a sign. So, so he goes home and he prepares this meal and he brings it back to God and he sets it on this rock and, and God goes, all right, here's your sign. Boom, he, he takes a staff and hits the rock and the thing catches on fire and, and all of a sudden he disappears. Okay, cool. He got the sign. So then he goes and, okay, God's gonna use me to take down all of Midian, all these people. So he gathers this massive army, 32,000 troops at his back, yet he's still kind of fearful and scared. And and so he does the fleece thing. You guys remember the fleece thing? He goes, okay, uh, God, I'm, I'm still scared, even though I saw you face to face, and even though you gave me the sign, and even though what you said came true, and here's all these troops, uh, but can I just, I want to lay out this fleece, and, and, and if you're really going to do this thing, can you have the fleece be wet and the ground dry? And God in great mercy says, all right, fine, there you go, wet fleece, dry ground, done. Gideon, um, can, can I just... God, can I just ask one, just one more thing, okay? Maybe the fleece was just really absorbent. Um, so can we do it the other way around, God? Because I'm still scared. I'm still unsure, even though I saw you face to face and you gave me the sign of the fire at the rock thing and, and you've gathered all these troops and you've already done the fleece thing once. Can we do the fleece thing again? This time, let's do dry fleece, wet ground. Can you do that one, God? And again, God in his great mercy stoops to Gideon's weakness and gives him that sign. And again, as a side note, before we move on, uh, th- this is not a way to discern God's will, okay? So, so don't say, oh, I'm trying to find out what God's will is from a life. I put out a fleece. Gideon already knew God's will. Go take out Midian, okay? But God in his great mercy stoops down to Gideon's weakness. So there they are, ready for battle, 
camped out uh, in this place. What we see from the very outset of this story, okay, what, what we learned from last week is that God uses weak people. The only type of people God uses are those who are not dependent on their own strength, because in and of ourselves we don't have any, but those who are dependent on God's strength. Listen to this. Moses' weakness was that he stuttered and was a murderer. Timothy's weakness was that he was fearful and physically sick. Hosea's weakness was that his wife was a prostitute. Jacob's weakness was lying. King David's weakness was adultery and murder. Naomi's weakness was that she was a widow. Jonah's weakness was racism. Thomas's was doubt. Jeremiah's was depression. Noah's was alcohol. Solomon's was his wealth. Abraham. Uh, Abraham's weakness was his age, and Peter's weakness was his impulsive and unstable nature. And I could go on and on through every other character in the Bible's story. We've got to get out of our head this stereotype that the people that God uses are the ones who are super Christian. They wake up early in the morning, they do their 6 a.m. morning devotional, You know, after that, they come downstairs, they do the Bible study with their children who are waiting patiently at the the breakfast table. They they then go to work and share their faith. They don't have any angry thoughts. They they, they don't have any weaknesses. I mean, and that's the, right? That's the type of person that God uses, right? They they sing great in the choir. They show up to church every Sunday. They they give, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church, right? It's It's only those type of people that God uses, right? A short reading of God's word would say, no, these are weak people. These are broken people. Yet God in his love and his great mercy stoops down to where weak people are and raises them up from where they are in order to set them on a path for doing amazing things for his kingdom. Are you a weak person? Are you broken? I know I am. And here's the good news. That's exactly who God uses. That's exactly who God uses. But so often when we hear Bible stories taught, it's look at the greatness of Gideon. He's so awesome. He's so powerful. He's so mighty. Be like him. And you're going, well, I'm not very mighty. I'm not very powerful. I get angry and I get frustrated. And sometimes I find it really difficult to believe God's word. And because of that, God could never use me. If only I were more faithful, if only I read the Bible a little bit more, if only I spent more time in prayer, if only I did better family devotionals, if only I prayed with my wife, if only I did this certain set of things, then I would actually be useful in God's kingdom. Anybody ever feel that way or think that way? I know I do. So what we learned from the outset of the story is that God uses weak and broken people. Now, this is not an encouragement to stay where we are, but admitting that we are weak is the key to change. It begins there. It begins by setting pride aside. It begins by setting aside, wanting to put on a good show, wanting to put on a good Sunday morning face. It begins by setting that aside and coming to a place to where you are willing to say, I am broken and weak. And here are the specific areas in my life where I'm broken and weak. Not just a general, oh yeah, hey, nobody's perfect, right? But a clear, specific, this is where I mess up. This is where I'm weak. I need help. It is that. That is the beginning of true change. So, don't let your weakness paralyze you. Walk in your weakness. Walk in weakness. How do you walk in weakness? Well, you walk in weakness through God's strength. We'll talk about that 
a little more as we go. Verses one through three. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. They're too many for me to give you the Midianites into their hands. Least Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Okay, now, uh, you guys know he has rallied all of these troops um, and he has 32,000 troops. There he is. God has said, I'm gonna give Midian into your hands. He's got his 32,000 troops. Now, he's outnumbered, okay? He's vastly outnumbered. The, the camels, okay, just these dudes, camels, lay in the valley like locusts or like sand on the seashore. So just, just in your mind, picture, you know, like little camel humps uh, looking like grains of sand on the beach for as far as the eye can see. Okay? They are vastly outnumbered. They only have 32,000, but you know, maybe Gideon's thinking this. Okay, here's what we can do. Um, even though we have a smaller force, uh, we've learned from military history that there's a, there are ways to do this. We can break our 32,000 up into small guerrilla squads. They can then uh, go and, and kind of pick off the officers and the generals. You can attack their supply lines so they don't have food. You can make their stay so miserable, they'll just pack up and go home. Right? How, how many military victories have we heard of, of those type of tactics being employed for, for a smaller force attacking a greater force? So, so okay, great. We, we've got a battle plan. Let's do it. Problem. God says you have too many. Too many? We're already outnumbered, God. If you're a terrible tactician, um, the key to winning battles is having more people with superior firepower. That's how you win battles. You have a bigger army. Bigger armies with bigger firepower win the battles, right? I mean, that's logical. That's, you are not a good military tactician, God. What are you thinking? God says you have too many. So he decides to shrink the army. Now, how does he shrink it? Here's how he shrinks it. Uh, anybody who's scared, uh, they get to go home, okay? Uh, so God commands him to tell the army, uh, if they're scared, they can go home, and 22,000 leave, okay? Get that picture in your mind. There you are, you're Gideon, uh, 32,000 soldiers standing in front of you. You go, hey, uh, I was just talking to God, and uh, he said, if anybody is fearful, you can go. They kind of stand there staring at him. You know, one guy looks at the other guy. They're kind of looking around, just waiting for the first guy to leave. And that first guy goes, peace out, right? He, he leaves. Then like another guy goes, and then another guy and like another big group of people go. And then this massive crowd goes, and then a bunch of people follow them. And Gideon stand there going, oh, uh, wait, uh, hold, uh, did I say fearful? I meant uh, cheerful. If you're cheerful, you can go, you know? And, and, and so 22,000, I mean, he's, he's left with only 10,000 men. That's, that's all that, that he has left. These people, they just leave. So, so again, why is God doing this? I mean, again, it, 
doesn't seem to make sense. It, it would seem like God would say, Gideon, call out to more people, and then more people came, and by God's power, they amassed an even greater army and overtook uh, the Midianites. That seems to make sense. But he tells us very clearly in the text why he is shrinking the army. The people, verse two, the Lord said, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. It is not their weakness that hindered them. It was their delusions of strength. It was if they would have maintained all of those troops, all of those soldiers, they would have employed their little you know, battle tactical plan. They would have gone in and defeated that army and then they would have said, hey, it's the 32,000. We're the 32,000 brave souls who charged into battle and defeated the Midianite hordes and killed all their camels and, and you guys should write songs about us. You should, you should pray. I mean, we just saved you guys. So, I mean, a little thanks would be nice. Without understanding their great, great weakness. So what God is doing is he's sending these 22,000 home to paint a picture of just how weak they really are. You see, they're, they're delusional. They think that they're strong enough. So God wants to make sure that doesn't happen. The problem is many of us, okay, many of us, give ourselves way too much credit. Many of us give ourselves way too much credit. When there's a job loss and, and you go into that interview and then you get the job and you tell everybody, yeah, it's because I aced the job interview. I mean, I, I present very well. You know, uh, we had some issues in our marriage, but you know, we took care of them. You know, we, we got it taken care of. I mean, have you seen how obedient my children are? It's because we followed these certain set of rules and we trained our child to be that way. You see this house? Well, it's because I work hard and I earned it and I bought it. I mean, with my money, with my skills, I went and did these things. Too often, we give ourselves way too much credit. If you wanna know a really challenging thing to do in your life, Begin your sentences with, by God's grace, instead of I. <laughs> by God's grace, I got a new job. By God's grace, we can afford this house or this new car. By God's grace, our children are semi-obedient sometimes. Um, by God's grace, when you start to work that into your language, it reminds you of your great dependency on God. This is what God is trying to tell the people of Israel here. You're not gonna go in and defeat them on your own power. You're so dependent on me and you're too blind to see it. Friends, wake up. We are weak and broken people, utterly and totally dependent on God, yet we're going, I've got it all figured out. God's going, no, you don't. You're so dependent on me. And, and I still love you, and I'm, I'm taking care of it for you. So 10,000 remain, okay? They, they got 10,000 left. Now, <clears throat> while it was devastating to lose the 22,000, it does make a little sense, right, to send away the fearful people because fear is contagious, and, and, it, and it could, you know, kind of the, the bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I mean, we've already read to the end of the text, how does fear work out for the Midianites, Right? They, they get scared. I mean, they, you know, we're going to see how that goes. So, so fear, you know, it makes sense. Let's send away the fearful. We'll leave the 10,000 bravest soldiers, 
okay? Again, we've got 10,000 Spartans here, just brave soldiers ready to take on the Midianite hordes. Yet God is going to cull them one more time, verses four through eight. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. (laughs) Take them down to the water and I will test them there for you. And if anyone of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink uh, and the number of those who lapped, putting their uh, hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord God said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men and the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. Okay, so there's Gideon. All right, I'm I'm trusting God. I'm gonna do this thing. He's left me with at least 10,000. Okay, maybe maybe we can still do the other battle plan, you know, kind of divide and conquer. And uh, God says, you still got too many. Still too many, Lord? Yes, still too many. I want you to divide them again. Okay, here we go. So they go down the water, and you got the kneelers, and you got the lappers. Okay, some guys kneel all the way down to the ground and kind of stick their head right to the water. Other guys kind of just stick their hand down and bring the water up to their mouth and drink that way. And so God says, okay, you see that? Make two groups. Kneelers over here, people who got all the way down, and then kind of the standing dog lappers over here. I want you to make two groups. So again, for those of you who are doing the math at home, you have 9,700 in this group over here. You got 300 over here. That's the two groups. And and as I read that, you can kind of see this little pause, a little break. And and I thought probably right then Gideon's going, God, I can't believe you. You're going to take 300 men away? And God says, no, it's the 300 that I'm going to use the 300. I want 300 dog lappers. Send the kneelers home, okay? So uh, at this point, the commentators uh, begin to comment on why God chose the 300, okay? Why the, what, what's the deal with, with the dog lapping as opposed to the kneelers? I mean, what's, you know, was one better than the other? Uh, you know, um, so one commentator I read said, that it was the um, dog lappers that God chose because they were most alert. The kneelers, they got all the way down on the ground and, and they're not looking for the Midianites. They're not watching the horizon to see if they're under attack. But it was the dog lappers who kind of stood there, put their hand down to the water. They're keeping alert and they're bringing the water to their mouth and lapping it like a dog. See, it's the alert guys. It's the guys who are ready for battle that God chooses, Right? Wrong. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. It has nothing to do with the type of person. It's about the number. God is showing them their weakness. He's forcing them to walk in their weakness. If God is choosing the best and brightest and most alert, that violates the very principle that is coming through in the text. 
Okay, so if, if you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the deal with the kneelers and lappers? I don't know. You can ask God when you get to heaven. What I do know is that he's whittling down the army smaller, not to get the 300 best, brightest, most well-trained, because listen, we're gonna get to their, their military strategy and it requires no military skill at all. So God is not looking for the best and the brightest. He's getting them to a place to where these men are willing to walk in weakness and see how utterly dependent they are, how utterly dependent they are on God, okay? Now, the reason we like picking the alert ones is because we like the Spartan 300 rather than the weak and frail few. We live in a world that despises weakness. We look down upon weakness. We love the mighty and the powerful. And so what that means for us is oftentimes we, we have a few choices of what to do with our weakness, okay? We can hide it. This means that you constantly talk about um, your strengths and you ignore your weakness. You, you put those weaknesses away and when anyone brings them up, you tell them 17 reasons why they're wrong. Anybody do that one? <laughs> okay, that's, that's hiding the weakness, no, I mean, no I've, I've got it under control. I've got it taken care of. I am not weak in these areas. You might think that, but I'm actually not. The other way is not to necessarily hide your weaknesses, but to numb them. You can numb them through just simply focusing on things that you're successful at. You can numb them through uh, building a successful business. You can numb them through drugs and alcohol. You can numb them through pornography. You can numb your weaknesses through hobbies, Okay. Or you can get bitter about them. Some people just do that. I'm weak in this area. I tried, I failed, I can't get any better. This is my situation and I'm mad about it. So you can hide it, you can numb it, or you can get bitter about your weakness. Or you can learn the principle, the biblical principle of walking in that weakness, of admitting I'm weak and moving forward, not in your strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Okay, at this point, there's Gideon with his <laughs> nobody 300 troop, okay? They're getting ready to go into battle. Now, I just want you to ask yourself, if you are Gideon, what is your emotional state? I, I love this next section of text, okay? Look at verse nine. That same night, the Lord said to him, in my mind, what, what I saw as I was studying this text this week is, is there they, they've sent the other 9,700 troops home. There they are, 300 guys just hanging out. It's nighttime. Gideon is laying in his tent, looking up at the ceiling of his tent, asking, how in the world are we ever gonna do this? God, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Help me. He is feeling doubtful, frightened, afraid, unsure. He knows that God has made a promise. I'm going to deliver Midian into your hand. He knows the promise is there. As a matter of fact, God has repeated this promise how many times through, throughout this text, throughout chapter six, seven, and eight. I'm gonna give Midian into your hand. I'm gonna give Midian into your hand. Yet, God said, I'm gonna do this, but he keeps removing the avenues that Gideon thinks God is gonna use to get it done. God says, I'm gonna deliver Midian into your hand, and then 32,000 troops show up, and Gideon goes, oh, cool, 
This is how God's gonna do it. God says, nope, I'm not doing it that way. And he sends 22,000 of them home. And now he's only got 10,000 and Gideon goes, okay, well, I guess we're gonna do it with the 10,000. But then he takes 9,700 of those guys away and he's left with 300. And now Gideon's going, what are you doing? Anybody ever feel that way? God, what are you doing? You said that this was gonna happen or I thought this was gonna play out, but every avenue of getting to to, to point B, you just keep throwing up roadblocks and I don't understand what you're doing. I don't see how you're working this together for the good. Is that how you think Gideon's feeling? That's how I think he's feeling. And so in this moment, God sweeps down low, low, low to where Gideon's weakness is and offers him reassurance. Check this out. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go down against the camp for I have given Midian into your hand. But if you are afraid, do you think he's afraid? (laughs) The Midianite hordes with camels strewn everywhere. We got 300 nobodies. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pira, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their, uh, and their camels were without number, as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, uh, God, uh, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp, okay? So uh, he's had the face-to-face encounter. Uh, He's had the sign at the rock. He did the fleece thing times two. Uh, God gathered the troops. God's voice has constantly been with him, yet he is still afraid. Here's the good news. Fear and uncertainty does not disqualify you from a great work. When we fear, God is not harsh with us and condemning, nor does he ridicule us or mock us. This is incredible. I'm gonna give the Midianites into your hand, Gideon. Go ahead and take care of them. You can imagine Gideon just laying there in his tent frozen, right? And God says, but if you're afraid, if, if you're scared, and, and then God doesn't say, well, I already told you. I mean, just... Just get up and go, Gideon. How many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to speak to you? I mean, do you want the fleece thing again or what? Come on, get up and go get them. No. He says, if you're afraid, let me give you some reassurance. This is so gracious of the Lord. And, and, and listen, this study, okay, through, through chapter six and seven, I have been studying weakness, Okay, uh, I have been so keenly aware of all of my weaknesses as, as I'm looking at, at all this stuff and I'm thinking about all the areas that I'm weak and, and I get to this place and, and I don't know if you're like me where you, where you see your weaknesses and you're reminded just how weak you are and you get to this place where you, where you just feel stuck. I mean, it's almost like 
I'm so weak right now that, that, that I've had my eyes open to all of my weakness. I am so stuck right now that I don't even feel like I can take one step forward. I mean, I am, I am glued in right here. I just wanna lay in a ball in the middle of the floor and cry. Okay, bring in the Kleenex and the chocolate. Let's get this thing done. But what God does is he shows us how weak we are. That's what he's doing with this army. That's what he's doing with Gideon. He's forcing them to see how weak they are by removing troops, removing troops, removing troops. Now they're getting to a place to where they're really seeing their weakness. But what God does is swoop in and assure them, not of their strength, but of his in our times of great weakness where we see just really how weak we are, it is God's not doing that to immobilize us, to, to make us stuck in our situation. God is showing us how weak we are so that we can see how strong he is and so that we can take those next steps. So what God does here is he gives this pagan Midianite, by the way, a dream. Okay, what's the dream? Uh, well, a loaf of bread comes rolling into the camp, hits the tent, boom, falls over. At that moment, you can imagine Gideon going, okay, Lord, that's not very impressive. Why do you have me here? Sounds like this guy should lay off the pizza before he goes to bed. I don't, I don't understand this guy's dream. What's happening? And then God in his great grace gives the interpretation of that dream to the other guy. And the other guy says, that, that bread, it's actually a sword and it's Gideon's sword and, and he's given us into this guy's hands. And all of a sudden, it all makes sense. Gideon says, I'm the weak bread. Do you get it? it it's not a mighty boulder came rolling into the camp and destroyed all the tents or a, a, a lion came in and, and ate all the people's heads off or... Um, you know, a bear, you know, a screaming eagle swooped over the camp with a seven-foot wingspan. No, loaf bread. Not so wonderful wonder bread. A skinny white loaf bread piece, okay, if, the, if, it was, if I was in the story, came in and destroyed the whole thing. In that moment, what does he see? He sees his great weakness, yet God's great might. The loaf bread <laughs> coming into the camp and taking the whole thing out. All of this, God works together to remind Gideon of his great weakness and of the mighty power and strength that is to be found in the Lord alone. The truth is, when we see how weak we are, we need to be reminded of how strong God is. The things, listen to this, the things that are standing in your way are not as big as they seem. There's Gideon thinking, there's no way we could ever do this. Yet God says, dude, I'm strong enough. In the same way, the things that are standing in your way are not as big as they seem. Now, when they're stacked up against your weakness, they're huge. But when stacked up against God's strength, how small are they, okay? So, the things that are standing in your way are not as big as they seem. What are you facing this morning? A failing marriage, rebellious children, financial struggles, family relationship problems? All of those issues look huge when stacked up against your weakness, but they are minuscule, minute, and microscopic when compared to the strength of the Lord. Listen, I'm telling you how weak you are and how broken you are. The goal is not for you to go, man, 
I thought church was supposed to be encouraging, right? The goal is for you to really see how weak you are, yet be encouraged at how much strength the Lord has and be able to go out of here going, it's going to be okay. Listen, God has got you this far, has he not? You're sitting here today. God has got you this far. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. What he's doing this morning is he's just reminding you of how weak you are and how much you need him and how dependent on him you really should be. He wants to bring you to a place of great weakness so that you can walk in great strength, which is his strength. You guys getting that? You guys with me this morning? Yes? Yeah. So the battle, okay, let's take a look at it. As soon as Gideon, uh, verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of this dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands of all the men and empty jars with the torches inside the jars and said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I will, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, if you're those 300 troops, you're thinking, who is this guy? What has he done with Gideon? All of a sudden, he comes back into the camp. I mean, and that mighty warrior that the angel of the Lord called him all of a sudden emerges. He comes into the camp. Guys, get up. Here we go. Uh, get, your, get your thing and the, 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 get the... And, and get all your stuff together. We're going. And they're like, what? What are, we, what are we doing? No, the trumpet. Put the sword down and get the trumpet. Okay, I've got the, the, this? Yes, the trumpet. Get the trumpet and get the jar and the thing. We're doing it. Where did that come from? How does, how does he go from laying scared in his tent to all of a sudden rushing into the camp and saying, look at me and do what I do? Verse 15 again, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he, it's in the secret place. It's in the quiet place with the Lord where you admit to him your great weakness and beg that you would be able to walk in his strength. That is where you find true boldness. It's in the quiet place. It's on your face before the Lord saying, God, I don't know what to do. I'm broken. I'm weak. I've tried everything I know to do. And it's just not happening. I, I don't have what it takes, Lord, to get this thing done. I, I can't fix my marriage. I can't teach my children. I, I, I can't move forward at my job. I, I just, I feel stuck and, and I don't know what to do and I'm weak and I'm broken. God, would you, would you help me walk in your strength? And it's in those moments where we worship and we give ourselves over to the Lord wholeheartedly that we're able to walk in great boldness. Listen to this. What a person is on their knees before God is all they truly are. Isn't that incredible? What a person is on their knees before God as they say, I'm broken, I'm empty, I'm weak, I have nothing. That's all they truly are. And God says, finally, you're walking in weakness. I've got you right where I want you now. Now get up and go in strength. Not yours, 
but mine. So they grab their, their trumpets, their torches, and their jars. Again, this plan requires no military skill. Uh, you need a pulse, air in your lungs, and the ability to break a jar. That's all you need, okay? Are you breathing? Cool. Can you break a jar? Probably, right? Can you carry a torch? You're in. Blow a trumpet? Even better. Let's, let's go do this thing. So this tiny little force of men surround the camp. It, it's, it's nighttime. It's dark. We know that because they're doing the guard-changing thing. All of a sudden, they break the jar. Now, what would happen if a, a mighty army kind of rushed into your camp? Well, they'd be knocking a lot of stuff over, wouldn't they? They'd be breaking a lot of jars. They, they break the jars, and, and all of a sudden, light starts shooting out from everywhere as the Midianites are sitting in their camp, and all of a sudden, they, they hear the trumpets blow and guys screaming, and, and they, don't, they don't know what to do. So what they did is they leveraged their weakness with their battle plan. They took what they, what do we got? Uh, jars and trumpets. Okay, uh, we got 300 guys and we got jars and we got trumpets. Doesn't sound like a very good plan, but that was their weakness and they leveraged their weakness. Here's what's incredible. We see that happening at this church by God's grace. There are men here at this church, their weakness is pornography. By God's grace, they are walking in God's strength, okay, over that sin and are actually leveraging that weakness to help other men walk in that same strength. They saw it. Here's my weakness. This is what I know I'm weak at. How can I walk in God's strength? How can I leverage this weakness for God's kingdom? Well, they begin to walk in strength over that sin and then they begin to carry other men along with them. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. They leverage their weakness. Let's look at the smashing victory, verses 19 through 23. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp uh, and, began, uh, that, and beginning with the middle watch, when they had just set watch, then they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they held in their left hands and the torches they held in their right. And the trumpets they blew and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in this place and the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. And when, the, when, the, uh, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Maloah by Tabith and the men of Israel called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian, okay? Um, again, you've got to get this scene in your mind as they have, you know, smashed the jars, the, the light comes pouring out, they blew the trumpets, um, and, and the army starts running away. And as they're running, they don't know who the enemy is, and so they're killing each other as they're running away. Here's what doesn't happen. The 300 guys standing at different points on that hill don't go, we did it, high five. Look how awesome we are. <laughs> Nobody says that. As a matter of fact, the 300 guys didn't kill anybody. <laughs> they just, that's all they did. And the Lord did that. Um, a few weeks ago, I was hanging out uh, in the backyard with my daughter and um, 
she has this red wagon and it broke. And so she says, Daddy, can you fix my wagon? Yes, yes, I can. Uh, she says, can I help? I said, yes, yes, you can. So I pick her up, I carry her uh, and the wagon into my shop. Um, I open up the drawer where uh, I keep the screwdrivers. I take out the screwdriver and, and begin to work on uh, this wagon. And, and when I'm done, I hand the screwdriver to her and she kind of stabs at it for a second, uh, you know, helping. And, and we fix the wagon. Uh, and so then I set the wagon down and with the screwdriver in her hand, she looks at me proudly and says, Daddy, I did it. I fixed my wagon. And like a good father, I said, yes, you did, baby. You did a good job. But in my mind, I thought, no, you didn't. You didn't fix the wagon. Number one, you're too short to even reach the drawer where the screwdrivers are. You lack the manual dexterity to even use a screwdriver, much less an engineering mind that could figure this problem out and then solve it. You didn't do anything. And in that moment, I think I saw a little bit of what God sees and feels every single day. I just did the whole thing, yet we're standing there going, I did it, look what I have done. And God's going, you're so cute. I mean, look at him, he's so cute. Hey, Holy Spirit, Jesus, come over here. Check out me, this guy is so cute. It was God's strength that won that victory. Now, the 300 don't even kill anyone. It is God who gives the victory. God has a plan for your weakness. Think about this. Uh, there's this uh, text in scripture where uh, the apostle Paul, you guys know the apostle Paul, this great, you know, awesome guy, writes books in the New Testament. He's pretty spiritual, right? He prays that God would take away this thorn in his side, this weakness away from him. He prays and prays and prays, yet God doesn't take it away because God has a plan for that weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, you think Paul had some pretty amazing revelations? He did but to keep him from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in my flesh or a weakness was given in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, what do we mean when we say walk in weakness? Okay, well, we've been saying walk, walk in your weakness. It's, it's an attitude of the heart. There's a way to walk in weakness. Again, not getting bogged down in your weakness, not just accepting it, right? I'm just always gonna be angry and yell. I'm just weak in that way, right? Not sitting, but moving forward out of your weakness. What, is that, how do you, what does that even mean? Well, it's a posture of your heart. 
So which way is your heart posturing? Towards walking in weakness or walking in pride? Here's a fun little test. <laughs> it's gonna come up on the screen. Walking in weakness. Now, we're gonna walk through some of these, okay? This is, this is where we start to get practical. And, and I, I want you to ask yourself, not thinking about other people, thinking about you, okay? Ask yourself, is that me? So, so we're gonna go through two lists. One, uh, walking in weakness. The other list, walking in pride. And you ask yourself, is this me? There's a great book uh, called uh, Emotionally Healthy Churches that a lot of this list comes from. I thought it was very helpful. Here's what it means to walk in weakness. I disclose myself to others and freely admit failure. <laughs> Already some laughs. I'll take that as a no. I'm approachable and open to input. I am slow to judge others, slow to speak, and quick to listen. I understand that God's mercy and strength are seen when I admit mistakes and weakness. How about this one? I don't hold people in debt to me. When I'm, offered, when I'm offended, I ask questions to seek clarity. I am okay with saying, I don't know. I can let things go and when needed, assert myself calmly and kindly. I am more aware of God and people than the impression I am making on others. I see people as gifts to be loved and enjoyed. Okay, did you get two out of 10 there? <laughs> One out of 10, maybe, maybe, maybe you guys are way better than me and you got like nine or eight, okay? That is the posture of a heart walking in weakness. Here's the posture of a heart walking in pride. I focus on the positive and don't talk about my weaknesses. I focus on the flaws and the sins of others. You know, I may do this, but you know, she, you know, I, of course I say these things sometimes or might act this way, but what about this guy? I always give my opinion and insist on my way of doing things. I don't get too close to people and often see people as resources. I don't let people see what is going on inside of me. I like to control situations. I must always be right. I blame others. I hold grudges and don't offer forgiveness. When I am offended, I write people off. How'd you do? <laughs> Ouch, right? Right? I felt that exact same way in my study this week. I thought, I don't even want to read that list. That's terrible, right? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about a different way of doing life and of looking at the world, of walking in weakness, of, of approaching things, not as I always need to be right. Everybody needs to hear my opinion. I've got it all together. I'm going to put on the good face, but a posture of weakness. I know I'm weak. I know that I'm broken, I'll just close with this. Um, here's me, okay, you ready? I'm an unintelligent introvert who has a difficulty processing emotions. Okay, that's me. Uh, I am unintelligent. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, when I was going through school, uh, they diagnosed me with ADD. Uh, all throughout middle school and high school, um, I went through the special educations uh, portion, okay, uh, of teaching. I was given remedial classes uh, and remedial work to do. 
After that, I got kicked out of college, but if I hadn't have got kicked out, uh, I would have flunked out. That's my weakness. And God says, Kirk, I want you to teach for a living. What? <laughs> what are you talking about, God? I mean, find somebody who doesn't have mild dyslexia, which I do, by the way. Find someone who made good grades. Find someone who, who's better at teaching. Maybe somebody with a degree. Maybe somebody who's good at learning. Not me, God. Nope, I want you to walk in weakness. I'm an introvert, people. Here's what that means. That means large crowds and, and lots of like social interaction with large crowds is actually very stressful and draining for me. That's why I'm so weird before and after services. Now you know why. So God says, okay, introvert, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put you in large groups of people at least two to three times a week as a pastor. No, find, find an extrovert, God. Find somebody who gets energized by large groups of people and is a, some type of verbal processor. This, this, no, I want you to walk in weakness, okay? I have an incredibly difficult time processing my own personal feelings. I would rather bottle them up and ignore them. I don't want to process them. And God says, Kirk, I want you to counsel people and help them process their feelings. What? This does not make any sense. I'm weak in these areas, okay? I'm, I'm not very smart. I, I, I am an introvert. I, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible counselor, right? I feel sorry for you guys. But God says, no, I, I want you to walk in weakness. I want, you to, I want you to walk in weakness. Here, I'll close with this. What God has shown me is that if any good comes out of this ministry, if any good comes out of my ministry, the glory will certainly only go to him. Listen up, weak people, admit you're weak, and move forward in the strength of the Lord. So we've talked about the heart postures, and, and maybe now you're at a point to where you're going, okay, I, I see the two heart postures, I understand I need to be walking in weakness, but how? How do, I mean, how do I, how do I go out of those doors this week and walk in weakness? Here's the how. Look to Christ. Look to Christ who in weakness was born in human flesh. Look to Christ who in weakness grew in wisdom and stature. In weakness was a peasant carpenter. In weakness was emotionally distraught, tired, thirsty, hungry. In weakness was rejected by his own people and the religious authorities. In weakness, Christ was arrested as a common criminal. In weakness, Christ remained silent at his false trials. In weakness, Christ was bound to the whipping post to receive his scourging. In weakness, Christ hung on the cross and received unto himself our weakness and our sins. In weakness, Christ was stabbed in the heart and taken from the cross and laid in the tomb. But in mighty power, he resurrected on the third day, defeating sin and death and Satan and demons. In mighty power, saying, go therefore into all the nations and make disciples in power, promising his second coming, saying, I will go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare it, I will surely return and take you unto myself in power. Christ is saying to all his children today, though you are weak, I am strong. So go in, not in your strength, but in my great might. Let me pray. Oh God, we're weak. We often think, look at me, I've done it. I've figured it out. I've put it together. But we really haven't. 
We're broken, we're sinful, we have faults and flaws, things that we like to hide and don't like to share. But Father, I pray that as a church, as a congregation, as a people, we would bow down on our faces and say in the voice of truthfulness, I'm weak and I'm broken and I don't know what to do and I need your help. God, help us to see our great reliance on you. God, I pray that we would leave here today encouraged, not not feeling, God, I'm terrible, I'm awful, but understanding that we're weak, but yet you offer a great strength that we can walk in. You offer a way out. You offer uh, to go with us, to walk beside us so that we don't have to try to figure this out on our own, that we can go in your strength. And so, Father, empower us today, not in our strength, because we don't have any, but send your spirit to empower us today in your great might. Ask all these things in the mighty, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.